Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your grace, and we thank you that uh, by your grace and by the work of your Spirit within our hearts, we are able to sing, I trust you, Lord. We thank you for the gifts of repentance and faith, and we thank you for the great salvation worked out uh, in your plan by Jesus Christ. And as we have opportunity uh, during uh, these uh, mornings to reflect on uh, your glory in the gospel, your glory in the good news of who you are and what you've done, we pray that you'll be pleased to come to us, to bless us, to open our hearts, open our eyes, and give us light on who you are and on your Son, Jesus Christ the great Savior in whom we trust. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, the, the overall theme that uh, we've selected is the glory of God uh, in the gospel. And of course, uh, the idea of the gospel uh, is good news. And uh, the good news comes to us in, in uh, many forms. Uh, the uh, way the Bible relates uh, uh, who God is and what He has done is like a, a, a magnificent gem, uh, a diamond that has many facets. And as you turn the gem and uh, the light shines on those different facets, uh, you, you see uh, uh, the glory of uh, God in the gospel in many different ways. And uh, so in each lesson... Uh, we're going to uh, look at a, a different facet of uh, the glory of God uh, in the gospel. In doing this, uh, we're going to go through questions and answers 1 through 38 in the Shorter Catechism. And uh, so by the end of the time, you should have memorized the Catechism. And why are you laughing? <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to have you... Uh, visit uh, different of the children uh, so that they can sign off on whether or not you have learned the catechism. I think that's fair, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> uh, so uh, last night uh, I took uh, question and answer t 27, or Sunday morning, I should say, I, I took question and answer. Uh, 27, which is the humiliation of Christ. And uh, Wednesday evening, my plan is uh, to take question and answer 28, which is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And uh, outside of that, we're going to go uh, in order uh, through the catechism. And uh, as you can see on the handout here, uh, uh, this lesson is the glory uh, God's glory in the good news of who He is. And uh, this is question and answer 1 through 6. Uh, basically, this is uh, part of how the catechism uh, is laid out for us. And uh, I've, I've selected two uh, theme verses uh, that you see at the top of the handout. Uh, Psalm 113.5, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? And, of course, this is a rhetorical question. And uh, uh, the answer is, no one. No one. 
Uh, he is uh, himself uh, the one who is uh, the self-existent God, and there is no one and nothing equal or uh, like him in any respect. Uh, and Second Chronicles 6.14, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. And uh, so th- th- this kind of sets the theme uh, for our uh, lesson in this uh, first session. And uh, as we get started, I want uh, once again to do a little responsive reading. And uh, you'll see that uh, each question, uh, question one, question two, question three, question four, question five, question six, is uh, uh, those words are highlighted. So I'll read the question uh, and in each case, you respond by uh, reading the answer. And we'll go through these uh, first six questions and answers of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Uh, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures what is God? Are there more gods than one? How many persons are there in the Godhead? I see that some of you are reciting the Catechism. Good, good. And uh, I hope that more of you uh, will as uh, the week progresses. And I want to encourage you uh, to uh, work with others and uh, memorize the catechism because uh, the catechism gives you uh, uh, the overall picture of the teaching of the Word of God. It's a a great rubric uh, in which you can place uh, the smaller pieces of Scripture for a better understanding of the Word of God. So, I encourage you uh, along this line. Uh, the Catechism, of course, begins with uh, this great question, what is uh, the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And uh, the word glory uh, in the Old Testament uh, is a very interesting term because the root of that term is the idea of weight, uh, of weightiness. Uh, Gold has glory because it's heavy. And uh, this is part of the idea uh, behind uh, the term glory. And you can understand it in this way. Uh, Who is it that carries 
weight in your life. Uh, to glorify God means that God carries the weight in your life. And if God carries the weight in your life, you act in ways uh, that are going to please Him. Now, uh, I know we live in a real world. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, uh, this is the case. And so, uh, those of you who are employed, your employers carry some weight in your life. Uh, this is undoubtedly the case. And so you uh, go to your job and you uh, interact with your uh, employers uh, uh, to uh, do the work that pleases them. You see, this is an indication that uh, they carry some weight in your life. Uh, similarly, uh, we live in a, a real world where uh, young people uh, have to go to school and uh, college students uh, have to be in school. And uh, so those professors, like it or not, <laughs> carry some weight in their lives uh, because they uh, have to do the work to measure up to the standards of, uh, that are set forth by their professors in class. And if you have children, and uh, most of you do, in the lives of your children, you carry some weight. Correct? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is the idea. And if that were not the case, there would be chaos all the time uh, in your home. And uh, this is often the case when uh, children don't feel uh, the weightiness, you, you see, of uh, uh, their parents' authority and the responsibility that they bear toward their parents. Uh, but you see, now, uh, when we... Uh, uh, get up higher and view all of these uh, matters in terms of the living God. All of these matters, our employment, our schooling, our families, are responsible to God. And so the one who should bear the greatest weight in your life and in my life is the great God of heaven so that you carry out your employments with an eye to not only your employer, but to the God of heaven to whom you are responsible in those employments. I, I had a very startling thing uh, happen to me. I, I was not expecting uh, this to occur at all. Uh, after I got out of the service uh, years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to Dallas, Texas, and... Uh, uh, after uh, some difficulty, I obtained a job uh, as an engineer at Travelers Insurance Company. I said, you work for Travelers Insurance Company. Okay. As an engineer. <laughs> and uh, I got to the place where uh, I worked in the commercial end of things. And we sold commercial policies to big companies. And, and so the the engineers would have to go out and, and talk to plant managers and inspect the plants and, and uh, do th this sort of thing. And so, so that was my job. And I got to the place where I was training uh, other engineers in, in that office. And in order to uh, avoid the traffic in Dallas, I wonder what the traffic in Dallas is like now. <laughs> uh, to avoid the traffic, uh, I would get up early in the morning and uh, drive uh, to downtown Dallas to the First National Bank building and park in the basement garage and uh, go to work. And I'd, I'd get in there early. I'd have to turn the lights on in the office and this sort of thing. 
Uh, well, finally, uh, uh, after praying much, I received a call and uh, was uh, doing work in the church. And I went to the mailbox uh, uh, for the church building one uh, this one morning. And there was a letter with a return address from Dallas, Texas. So I wonder what, all, what that's about. Uh, I opened the letter... And it was from the wife of a fellow that I had trained as a safety engineer in that office, engineering office. And, and she said, my husband and I want to tell you that he has become a Christian. And uh, as I was in that office, I, I don't remember saying... Uh, some of you would say, well, why not? I don't remember uh, ever once uh, speaking pointedly to anyone in that office uh, about Christ in, in a very pointed way. Uh, uh, but uh, 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 folks knew that I was a Christian, uh, just from our general conversation and that sort of thing. And uh, this woman uh, said to me, this wife said to me, my husband and I attribute his conversion to you. And it was simply the testimony of a life working in an office in a secular circumstance seeking to give glory to God in that circumstance. You don't realize the impact that something like that can have. What is your objective in all of life to glorify God, to live as though the great God of heaven is the one who carries the weight in your life and you conduct yourself accordingly. And you won't realize until you come to glory itself in heaven the consequences of your life as you've lived in that way. And the catechism answer goes on to say, man's chief end is to glorify God. And you and I usually stop right there. <laughs> uh, I think that's rather unfortunate. Uh, it's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You and I are placed in this world to learn to enjoy God. Uh, uh, the little jingle, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Well, uh, okay, if you want to go down that path, it's a dead end. And uh, you, you know that that's the case. You are not put in this world for the purpose of enjoying yourself. And it's pretty difficult to teach your children this, is it not? <laughs> that, that this is the case. You see, the, the language is very specific. You are, first of all, to learn to enjoy God. 
And uh, one of the proof texts is Psalm uh, 73, uh, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My portion, my inheritance. And I look forward to my inheritance. I look forward to the portion that God will give me in the life to come. And then uh, the text goes on to say, For behold, those who are uh, far from you shall perish. Uh, You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, there is good to be near to God. It's a good thing to be near to God. It's a good thing. You can think about, those of you who are married, the first dating experiences you had with your spouse. You say, oh, yes. To be near, just to be near, to sit across the table. And I remember one of the great times that my wife and I had uh, early in our relationship is going to an ice cream shop and uh, uh, having uh, eating ice cream together and just talking. And uh, uh, to this day, uh, th- uh, some of the best times that we have, uh, people ask us, well, what do you do for entertainment? Say, <laughs> we go out to eat. <laughs> and uh, we go out to eat. Uh, uh, we like food, this is for sure. But we, we, we just enjoy sitting at the table and talking with each other. This is a good time for us just to be together. And it's good. And you multiply that infinitely. It's good to be with the living God. This, this is why you and I should be glad to come together on a Lord's Day morning to worship at church. Because it's not only that we have the opportunity to gather together with uh, other like-minded Christians, but the point of worship is to come to meet with the living God. And God has promised to meet with us and to uh, come to us. And uh, uh, here we have a great encounter uh, with God. And I'm a firm believer in this sort of thing. And it's been said already that worship ought to be a reflection of heaven. And if you read the Bible with regard to the things of heaven, you understand that we're not going to be individuals floating around on separate clouds with playing harps and waving to one another at a distance. No! Uh, What is the picture? The picture is of myriads and thousands and tens of thousands gathered around the throne in a great company to meet with Jesus Christ, the living God, and to worship Him. This is the great encounter that uh, you and I have the prospect of having. And week by week, you and I encounter the living God as we're gathered for worship. And this is very good, and we learn to enjoy Him. 
and then uh, question and answer number two. What rule hath God given to, uh, to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. How do you learn to glorify and enjoy God? From the Bible and Within the pages of the Bible, the Bible contains the Word of God. Not in the sense of some who would say, uh, who would hold to uh, a neo-Orthodox position, uh, which some of you are familiar with, where the pastor would stand up and begin to read and he would say, listen for the Word of God, as though when you read the Word of God, there might uh, you might hear something from God. No! It's these very words on the page are God's Word. I, I remember very well in seminary uh, uh, washing my uh, uh, little red Volkswagen in the back of the dormitory uh, at, at the seminary. And another fellow and I were talking about We We just had some, some classes of, of, about uh, Scripture and uh, the inerrancy of Scripture. And I remember going, every word in this book is from God. And when you open... The, we were studying Hebrew. And I, and I said, when you open that Hebrew Bible and you look at those Hebrew characters, this is as close to the very words of the living God that you are going to get. That's a startling thing to think that that's the case. And, that, and this is why we encourage our pastors to study the original languages to get as close to the very words inscribed by the finger of God Himself. The book. And what do you learn from this book? You learn about who God is and what He has done and why He should carry weight in your life. And you learn how to enjoy Him. Uh, this familiar text, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, that the person of God may be mature, that the person of God may be brought to maturity, and every good work equipped for every good work. And what does that include? To understand how to glorify God, to understand who God is and why he does carry the weight in your life and in my life. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when you come together for fellowship... You see, it's not that just that you have fellowship with one another, but it's that you are to learn to have fellowship with God and that you are learn to learn to have fellowship with one another. Now, let me challenge you here just a little bit. 
uh, uh, in your singing. Now, now, I know that none of you ever do this. That uh, when the pastor or the elder introduces a psalm, uh, uh, and you stand to sing, uh, you just sing the words and your mind goes elsewhere. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. Uh, but, but we do do that, don't we? Uh, too often. Uh, rather than thinking that those words are words given to you so that you may address God. Uh, and this is why I said Lord's Day morning. Uh, with reference to our our uh, uh, conference psalm. In you, O Lord, to whom are you speaking? In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Those are not idle words. Those are words that you address to God the Father and to His Son, Jesus Christ, as you sing. And as you do so, you are learning to have fellowship with God and to enjoy God. And uh, this is what we are to do. Uh, Question and answer three. What do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So here are the two great sections, or two great sections of the Catechism. Uh, What we are to believe concerning God. And uh, questions and answers, 1 through 38, uh, encompass uh, that first section of the Catechism. What we are to believe concerning God. And uh, so our effort in these sessions is going to be to go through Uh, this first section of the Catechism. And uh, the next great Catechism, the section of the Catechism, uh, what duty God requires of us, uh, is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And uh, uh, this this is also a great section uh, to help us. How we are to live uh, for God. And if you understand the Ten Commandments properly, uh, to keep this, these commandments is to express your love for God. And this is love, that you keep His commandments. This is what the Bible teaches us. And so, as you learn to walk in the commandments, uh, th- this is not an exercise in legalism where you can... Uh, begin to pat yourself on the back for accomplishing your duty. No. Uh, The whole idea is that you learn to love the Lord your God by uh, speaking the truth and uh, being faithful and uh, following each one of these commandments. uh, These commandments are an expression of your love for God and a way in which you show the world, and show God that He does indeed carry the weight in your life. What a wonderful thing God has done for you and me by giving us uh, these Ten Commandments to show us how we can live properly for Him. 
And so, uh, these are uh, two great sections of uh, the shorter catechism. Second uh, Timothy 1.13 Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, you, you see, uh, there's the idea. The Westminster Divines have uh, selected this text as a text to uh, break out uh, this idea of, of what we are to believe concerning God, okay, our faith, and how uh, we are to live before God, what our duty before God is, how we are to express our love before God. Uh, you see, this is the idea. Uh, looking at the text again, follow the pattern of sound words. Okay? Follow the pattern of sound words which you find in the Bible. Uh, now, uh, I glossed over uh, something. Well, I didn't mention something that I'd, I meant to uh, under Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17. And that is uh, that those of us who are parents especially uh, uh, sometimes... Uh, like to think that we bear the rule in our household. And uh, uh, some of us who have been in the, in the service before, uh, especially uh, some of these guys that have been Marines before, have to be, be careful here, <laughs> uh, you see, uh, because uh, it's, it's uh, okay, you better toe the line. And uh, uh, w we get this military thing that, that pops out every once in a while. Uh, uh, Irma and I, my wife and I, were saying uh, yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, that when uh, uh, one of our daughters uh, would come to us and ask, ask for counsel, uh, she would always say, she would uh, preface uh, her comments by saying, Okay, Mom and Dad, uh, we, uh, I, I've got a question for you. But before we start, please don't use your preacher voice and please don't use your teacher voice. <laughs> Okay, be mom and dad. <laughs> and uh, sometimes this is how we tend, tend to come across. And it's not we ourselves who bear the rule in our household, you see. We are those who have responsibilities for our families under God. And it's in accordance with the Word of God that we need to teach our children. Not by... Uh, promulgating our own set of rules and standards. It's easy to do that, uh, but we need to be careful and always follow the Word of God so that God is the one who bears the rule in our households. Uh, uh, what is it, uh, you see? What does, the, uh, uh, what does question and answer tell us? Uh, the Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. And so we need to take care here. And uh, each one of us, uh, you see, I would say this uh, to you, uh, each one of you has a personal theology, like it or not. And uh, you need to bring your personal theology into the, into conformity to the theology of the Bible. And that's what's important for each one of us. 
Okay, uh, question four. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You see, now we're getting into uh, this matter of what you and I are to believe concerning God. God is a spirit. God is, God is a spirit. God is not a man. How often our effort is to bring God down and make God like us. More on that to come. Because I think uh, that's something that we need to uh, beware of. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable. You see, God is quite different than you are. You are a finite being. You are a temporal being. You are an earth-bound being and a time-bound being. God is not. God is unchangeable. You are quite changeable. All you have to do is go back and look at your uh, wedding pictures, those of you who are married, and you know that you're quite changeable. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> but this is the case. And uh, for some of us, we've changed a lot more than others uh, uh, in this stage of life. Uh, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. Be God's being is infinite. He is everywhere. He is infinitely... See, see, this is the mind-boggling thing. God is infinitely present everywhere. Now, how do you wrap your brain around that? But uh, this is what the Bible uh, teaches us. Uh, he is uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His wisdom. God knows in one instantaneous sweep of His consciousness, knows all. And He knows the relationships between everything in all times. And He knows how those relationships will work out. And therefore, He is able to make pronouncements with regards to those relationships. He is infinite in His wisdom and in His power. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His power. And uh, those of us who are sitting here this morning know right well uh, that we are not infinite in power. Uh, some of you have uh, noticed already and asked me about the fact you're limping, Denny. So, uh, this is a... a uh, uh, a, a sign of uh, my lack of power <laughs> in many respects, uh, you see. And so it is uh, with each of us. Uh, our eyes dim. Say, why in the world are you wearing those glasses? Say, because your eyes have become dim and you need assistance. Uh, God needs no assistance. 
He is infant in the power of His sight, and He sees all things. He is infinite in His power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And you see, uh, you and I are quite finite in uh, these regards. And you and I must not grumble uh, when uh, we uh, look at the legal system, for example, and uh, to our estimation, judges are making uh, judgments that uh, are not correct. Uh, their vision is limited. Their understanding is limited. And it is, there is only one who can make uh, fully truthful uh, judgments and exact perfect justice. It is the great God of heaven. And that perfect justice will await glory which is to come. Uh, and you and I must have the patience uh, for that. God is Spirit, John 4.24. God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and truth. I want to zero in on that prepositional phrase at the end of John 4.24. In Spirit and truth. Those words, those three words, Spirit and truth, uh, are actually a figure of speech. Uh, 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 the text does not say in spirit and in truth. Okay. Uh, you should mark that. It's one prepositional phrase, and uh, this is a figure of speech. One thing is being spoken of. And uh, some of you who have been in my uh, hermeneutics classes might remember the term that it's involved here. It's a hendiadis. Hen, dia, dis. Hen, one, dia, through, dis, or die. Two, one through two. One meaning using two words. In spirit and truth. In other words, worship in a truly spiritual way. That's the idea of the text. And when Calvin expounds this particular text, he says uh, we must mark the fact that we are no longer under uh, the Old Testament law with all of its outward ceremonies. We've been separated by this because we've been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into the presence of God. And it's those Old Testament ceremonies that have foreshadowed the uh, giving of the Spirit and the worship of God in the New Testament. And being free from all of those Old Testament ceremonies, we may now worship God in a truly spiritual manner. And that's the idea of the text. And it's a wonderful freedom into which the great God of heaven has been pleased to bring each one of us. God is a spirit, and you and I are privileged to worship Him in a truly spiritual way. This is what is given to us. And are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and the true God. Yes, there are many gods and there are many idols. And in this world, there are many gods 
and there are many idols. And each one of us must be careful because as uh, we wear proudly our t-shirts and our polos uh, designating uh, uh, we're the alumni of a particular college and the rivalries are out there, we must remember once again that we bear allegiance to the great God of heaven first of all. And it's not allegiance to uh, that institution, first of all, that we bear on our t-shirts and on our polos. I think most of us understand that this is the case. But sometimes we can get a little confused. And the rivalries will begin to erupt. I know a little bit about this, having been to more than one Army-Navy game. And I know how this can occur. And so, uh, we must be careful and bear allegiance to our great God and to Jesus Christ. And remember that He is the true and the living God. And uh, finally, question six. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I received a question from uh, an individual who, who said to me, what's the definition of a person? What's the definition of a person? Well, uh, if you look up the definition of a person in the dictionary... Uh, uh, Merriam-Webster, uh, one of the definitions you will see is simply the word self. Self. And uh, I was racking my brain because I, I know I heard this and saw this uh, somewhere uh, where a little toddler uh, popped up uh, her chest and said uh, uh, something like, I'm my own little self to the question in response to the question, Who are you? I'm my own little self. <laughs> and uh, uh, sometimes we uh, look at it this way. Uh, but uh, we can't look at uh, the idea of person from the perspective of a human person. And uh, 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 one of the uh, systematic uh, theologians... Uh, Robert Raymond has a discussion on uh, the idea of person. And after going through a long discussion, he says, I don't think we can find any, any better word uh, to utilize in our definition of the Trinity, so we're just going to have to settle with it. And I think that's the case, uh, you see. Uh, and, and so there are three persons in the Godhead. And uh, these persons uh, speak to one another and uh, have interchanges with one another. Uh, this is part of uh, what we see. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. And what the Catechism is doing is looking at uh, the idea of the Trinity from the perspective of uh, uh, ontology or being. 
the theologians would call this the ontological uh, trinity. From the perspective of being, they are one in essence. Uh, the catechism is not addressing uh, uh, what we call the economic trinity. That is, uh, the Father planned salvation from the be- uh, before the foundation of the world. The Son agreed with the Father to carry out uh, the work of salvation by coming into the world. And the Holy Spirit agreed with the Father and the Son to apply the work of salvation to uh, individuals like you and me. Uh, This is looking at the Trinity from the perspective of uh, their uh, uh, different duties or or the things that they accomplish uh, in the world. Uh, The economy, we call it, the economy of salvation. Uh, The catechism is looking at uh, the uh, Trinity uh, strictly from uh, the perspective of being, the essence of God. Uh, Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And again, there's one prepositional phrase here. Notice that this is the case in Matthew 28:19. In the name, there is one name, one name, uh, uh, referencing the character of God. There is one essence. Uh, but there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The King James Version doesn't uh, properly translate the text uh, because it translates it with uh, a three prepositional phrase, in the name of the Father and in the, in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, this is not proper. There is one uh, prepositional phrase. Uh, but now, friends, uh, you see, uh, what we're coming to here uh, is, the, is the idea of the glory of God in the good news of who He is. Who is your God? He is the one who is a most pure spirit, who is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is quite distinct and different from you. He is worthy of all of your praise. And if you understand Him properly, He is the one who carries the weight in your life. And so, dear friends, who is it that you are to learn to glorify and enjoy? It is this same great God of heaven who is a most pure spirit. Let that, let that idea sink deeply into your head and heart. And as uh, we have opportunity to speak about these things more, I think uh, you will understand that part of our coming to glorify God is to understand the great distance there is between Him 
and us. A great chasm that must, that must be breached and overcome by God Himself. None of us would ever be capable of doing it. Let's pray together. Lord, good and gracious You are to us. We thank You and praise You for who You are. And as we have opportunity more to uh, look into these uh, great themes and teachings of Scripture, we pray, Father, that You would be pleased to bless us. And understand, uh, help us to understand, Father, our place before You. That in the end, we are nothing. And that You, in fact, are everything. And as this is the case, Father, and we learn more and more that this is the case, we will come to understand the great love that You bear toward us. So bless us and encourage us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, we ask these things. Amen.